This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luke Louis Dumeblet. And I'm Yannick Mouyan. And what's our topic today, Yannick? Apple suite of music applications. Wow. To complete this uh, whole suite life. I don't remember what it was called. but uh, Digital just... Hub series. Thank you, the Digital Hub. But before we start, I think we have follow-up. And Whoa, wait, wait. I think I hear something. Oh, is it... It, it, is it the topics that never die? I think mm. it is. I think it is. I think we have follow-up regarding mobile payments again. Of course we do. Of course, not missing the timing at all. Uh, Desjardins, which is my credit union, could sense that my credit, uh, my debit card broke a couple of weeks ago. And now they are coming out with news that they are going to have Apple Pay soon. Yeah, without any much details. Just like, it's coming. Last soon. time it was about a month, right? Soon? Yeah, from the other banks, when it it went from soon to a couple of weeks, you kind of knew that it was like four to six weeks. So hopefully it will be before the uh, Christmas season, and they want that to be ready before that part for people to use it because they know that they spend shit ton of money during that season. That would be really nice. Um, I should also add a programming note. Um, by the time you're listening to this, I will be a free agent again. I left my um my contract job at the insurance company this week, and I will be once again doing my own stuff uh i'm taking a break until the end of the year to work on personal projects and then we'll see where i'm going next yeah that um, will be a long break yeah but it is something that i need <laughs> because things have been rough lately um up next ps4 pro follow-up um m many more people have gotten the chance to play around with the playstation 4 pro uh, on the last episode the event basically had just happened and it was the only opportunity that people really had to play around with it um there are some interesting reports out of tokyo game show that the ps4 pro is basically completely underplayed in japan and was completely invisible Uh, on the show floor. It was incredibly hard to actually get to see a PlayStation 4 Pro in Japan, and much more of the push over there is on the PlayStation 4 Slim because nobody is buying PS4s in Japan. I mean, it's not as bad as the Xbox One, but the Xbox One usually sells about 100 units a week, and last week the PS4 sold 430 units in Japan, Ooh. which is not really great. <laughs> It is four times more than the Xbox, but still... Yeah, But is, still, it is uh, low numbers. It is really bad. So they are hoping that the PlayStation 4 Slim can move more units than the Pro. So I'm the, the main sure marketing push it. is more like, here's a cheaper PS4 and not like, hey, buy a new shiny PS4. It is like, whatever, I'm much in yen. But like that is way more expensive than the original PS4 was when it launched. Yeah, the, the culture in Japan is incredibly strange because the Xbox doesn't sell at all. But the people who buy the Xbox tend to be really, really hardcore gamers who love FPSs, sort of like Americans, except it makes no sense, really, that they're buying the Xbox One because nowadays the PS4 is really where that stuff is happening. So I'm not too sure what's going on. I think people are mostly attracted to this slightly different box so that they have something they can identify as being different from the rest of the gamers in Japan. But I don't want to use that because it sounds like too much of a stretch um additional follow-up on playstation 4 pro is that many more people have gotten to see many more games played in 4k using checkerboard upscaling which is this new technique that is used by the majority of ps4 pro games 
and the reports are amazing. I have no idea how this upscaling, well, I have a tiny bit of how this upscaling technique works, but um, compared to other upscaling methods, somehow it manages to give you a clean uh, image that's aligned to the pixel grid. So if you've ever tried to um, scale up things by a non-integer scale, um, you probably find out there's weird anti-aliasing that occurs because you can't get half pixels. But somehow, magically, the checkerboard upscaling technique gives you clean pixels that are aligned on the pixel grid. This is mind-blowing shit, and I want every <laughs> single game that is running in 900p on the PS4 to be patched to use checkerboard upscaling, because that sounds brilliant, and I want it. But that technique would also apply to the original PS4, or it's only for the Pro? It seems that the only games that are using it right now are using it in 4K mode on the Pro, and I guess technically the super sample of the image that 1080p users of the PlayStation 4 Pro are getting a super sampled image that was upscaled using the checkerboard technique, so it should be cleaner. Um, but there are still a lot of questions on that front. There is very little that is known about the 1080p performance of the PlayStation 4 Pro because very few people have actually gotten to see it. All of the demos are taking place on 4K HDR displays, except for Call of Duties, which was strangely on a 4K non-HDR display. That was a really strange demo. Um, but yeah, so they're really pushing the 4K angle hard, and there is a huge lack of details of how game developers are going to be leveraging 1080p hardware, which is unfortunate. Um, th- as far as the non-pro PS4 goes, I don't think anyone is changing their games to use checkerboard upscaling on those, which is unfortunate because I think it would give a great quality boost to the games that are already uh, using upscaling. But, I mean, are you going to do a free patch that completely rewrites the upscaling of your game just to be nice to your players? Probably not. No, you're fair. You'll charge for it. That's okay. Right. And the last item of follow-up I have is on watchOS 3, and this item of follow-up is a little bit strange because it's sort of an item that indicates a lack of follow-up. So I was hoping to talk to you this week about how great watchOS 3 apps are, and (laughs) nobody updated their apps for watchOS 3, so I am very angry at all you iOS developers who didn't update your apps for iOS 3. Okay, says the guy that needs to update apps. One app fair but it's you still need to update it and i will update it next week good but uh maybe before we go away from that topic even then uh i think it's still a bit early but i would fairly say that um watch os3 has been pretty impressive now that i've been using it for the last two or three weeks uh especially for previous app performance obviously it's not uh the best it could be and i think Upgrading your Apple Watch apps to WatchOS 3 SDK would gladly allow it. But just like using those defaults app on the new OS, it is amazing. Yeah, I'm I'm amazed at how quickly the workout app runs now. Because previously when you used the workout app, uh, I would either like invoke it from Siri or something. And I would sit there waiting for like 15, 20 seconds for the stupid workout thing to close and for my timer to start. And now I just tap twice. Well, I tap on the workout icon uh, complication on my watch face. And then I tap the quick start and it remembers all my last settings. And I'm up and running in like three seconds, which is exactly what you want from the Apple Watch in the first place. Right. And even then, in most cases, I've added a couple of uh, apps to my dock. And 
right now, the second I kind of uh, trigger the dock to appear, you see those applications to ref refresh their UI like quite instantly. So it's uh, pretty neat. Obviously, some of them are still not optimized to new the new feature of WatchOS 3, especially from the dock. But you see the difference. You see a faster uh, pace for those applications and a faster refresh rate for the data, which is yep. awesome. And as Series 0 owners, we are very happy with this change. Exactly. All right, let's move on to the main topic then. Ooh, so we're talking about iTunes today. Yay! Among other things, yeah. Oh. So I want to talk about the suite of music applications. We're going to stick consumer side because, honestly, I don't know that much about Logic and the other suite of music creation apps uh, from the pro side. Uh, I wish I did. Um, I played around with them a little bit in the Apple stores over the years, but not enough experience to actually say anything authoritative on it. Whereas I can say a lot of things about uh, the other apps. And but maybe I'll just stop you there. And I have one question that will kind of englobe our uh, kind of a logic discussion: is compared to the quote unquote new Final Cut, did Logic as add its own like kind of X moment? I know that it's called Logic. X, if I recall correctly now. Yes, it is. But this kind of uh, moving to 10 or X, whatever you want to call it, moment from Logic wasn't as big as Final Cut. No, it really wasn't as significant. And I think that's, that is why I would say that we are kind of less interested about, about knowing more about Logic or if we were to uh, maybe more doing more... Uh, I would not say pro audio, but at least do more work in audio than what we are currently doing with this podcast. Maybe we could investigate more about the usefulness of logic. But it seems that uh, this new change for going from the old version of logic to logic 10, uh, I haven't seen the same big splash as Final Cut Pro. So we're not as interested in it that compared to that other software. Right. Um so we're going to talk about iTunes. We're going to talk a little bit about the iPod because it's sort of related in many ways. The iPod. The what? The device that put Apple on the map again. And oh, okay, okay, that's good. We're also going to talk briefly about GarageBand. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. And then we're going to sort of put a conclusion on the whole Digital Hub series that we've done so far. And this is what I've been hinting at all day, the secret twist ending of how I'm going to turn this Digital Hub discussion into something completely different on you. And everyone's oh going to be very upset. I'm sure I will be. Okay, but let's let's start by talking about iTunes. I think iTunes. Oh, I don't care. I don't care. I want to know the twist now. Yeah, uh, well, stay tuned, dude. Okay, um, come down. So yeah, iTunes, uh, music management software. It's really the pioneer of that sort of category because prior to uh, the existence of iTunes, most MP3 players out on the market, and by that I mean software MP3 players. Um, were mimicking sort of like Apple CD audio player uh, from the 1990s that came with System 7 if you had a CD-enabled Mac where you could just basically play things in a sequential playlist or shuffle them or drag them around. But that is basically all you could do with it. And the entire management of your music was basically done by you by managing files in the file system. And I think iTunes is particularly notable uh in regards to Apple history, because it's really the first application ever by Apple to make a huge deal out of abstracting away the file system. 
And that became a huge direction for the birth of iOS. Um, even today in iOS, your access to the file system is incredibly limited. And usually when you're accessing the file system on iOS, it's through... It is basically not the actual file system. It's like a representation of a file system that does not correspond at all to how things are actually laid out on disk. Um, and iTunes really was the birth of that because the whole idea was rip CDs, drag MP3s into this window. We will manage the file hierarchy for you. You don't have to manage that anymore. Just put things in playlists, tag things correctly, and we will do the right thing. And I think a lot of us found that incredibly refreshing because managing a file hierarchy manually yourself is a pain in the ass. Yeah, especially when we were using this uh, file hierarchy to do all of the metadata. Because I used to do this hierarchy of like you say, oh, okay, this folder is for this artist. And then each of his or her album was inside of that folder so you get a bunch of a bunch of subfolders and then you have the music and then the name contains the number of the song on the cd and then the name and maybe you're able to put some metadata on the mp3 file but the itunes database for that was brilliant you could just do that put all of this information either on the mp3 files or in the itunes database and then itunes would do the rest for you yeah, and like, what if you wanted in your old file hierarchy to sort albums in a specific order? Maybe one day you want to sort your albums by year, and the other day you want to sort your albums by the name of the album. You have to manually go in and change those file names yourself. And if you don't know the years, you have to go look them up in an MP3 tag editor, and then that takes a really, really long time. Whereas by abstracting away all of the file storage of it and dumping just the metadata of your tracks into a database, you can sort by anything. You can search for anything. You can use the column view to drill down in the same way that you would have drilled down in your old file hierarchy if you wanted to. And that column view, believe it or not, is what became the iPod because it's basically the same thing. Uh, that was reused for the iPod. And I think the iPod also doesn't get enough credit because occasionally I'll meet people who are longtime PC users or people who make fun of Final Cut Pro. And um, they will tell me, like, the iPod it was so overhyped. It will, did nothing original. It was just another MP3 player with the Apple logo stuck on it. And I have to remember these and remind these people that before the iPod, there was no browsing of artists or albums or hierarchies of metadata on hardware MP3 players. You were relying entirely on this set playlist order. If you were lucky, you could actually set one playlist on your MP3 player directly and you could shuffle. And that was basically all you could do on those tiny little like RCA Lyra uh, MP3 players that you could buy for like $100 um, at your electronics stores. And the iPod really just raised the bar. And then everybody had to have hierarchical uh, navigation for the music library because people were putting more and more music onto their MP3 players and it became untenable to use those little things. And Steve Jobs, when he introduced the iPod Shuffle, was basically like, these devices are so bad at managing a large amount of songs that you basically resort to using Shuffle. And I think that's true for a bunch of people in that era. Oh, yeah. And I do remember owning one of those, like, uh, I used to call them kind of USB stick, like like USB, USB stick with the headphone jack, because that's what they were. They were like a flash memory, a little CPU to 
process the music and then shove it into your ears and that was it maybe you were lucky and you got a screen maybe not or maybe you didn't care if you had a screen because a the information to sh- that was shown on it was just garbage because in most cases it was just the file name and the name of the folder or they were trying to call it the playlist, but it was in the end just folders stored in the flash memory. And it was really primitive. And I do remember people like, maybe I'll go a bit ahead, but I remember people saying like, oh, if I use WinM, I can control everything and all. But in a way, what you wanted to do, and what I liked about the iPod was you plug it into your computer, either synchronize all of your music if you had one of those like iPod classics, but if you had a smaller iPod, either the uh, Nano or Mini, you would just like select a, couple, a bunch of plays or just today I want to listen to this artist and iTunes would do the rest for you. It will synchronize as much music from this artist as it would fit into that device. And even then, know, if, you know, if you knew that artist so much that you always wanted to listen to a specific album, you could just drill down and then shuffle through it or, or then repeat this whole album because... This tiny device in your pocket had all of the same, had the same database as the same as iTunes in your Mac. Yeah, and I absolutely love that. Um, around iTunes four, actually in iTunes four, they introduced a huge feature, <laughs> smart playlists. Which honestly, it, I mean, like this category of app has sort of disappeared if you exclude streaming services uh, from the mix in 2016. But even those who are still around in 2016 in this category do not have smart playlists. And I don't know how anyone uses those apps because smart playlists are incredibly useful. You can create crazy, like crazy smart playlists that do crazy shit. Like say, here are the top played songs for uh, like random assortment of top played songs from that. I haven't listened to in six months uh, and haven't skipped more than three times. So you can get really, really high quality um, playlists of music that you absolutely want to listen to but haven't heard in a really long time. And then when you listen to that playlist, you are like, yes, I forgot I had this in my iTunes library. And you can go back through memory lane and listen to all of these songs that you've listened to a bunch of times except you just haven't had the desire to listen to them recently and but you haven't skipped them you just haven't explicitly gone to play them and the amount of work you can do with smart playlists to basically get really really specific things knocked down first of all i think that made the ipod shuffle and the ipod nano because if you had a huge 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 like 40 gigabyte um, music library and you had an 8 gigabyte ipod nano or a 2 gigabyte ipod shuffle you were using smart playlists all the time to maximize your usage of the storage you had so that you only had good stuff on there. And I think that was a huge deal. And I am amazed that basically no one is competing with this feature. At the same time, I'm not surprised because I know that there was people, there were people like me that I would say never used that feature, but rarely used that feature. And I wonder if it's my, if they're fitting the same category as I am. And you and I are kind of different music tastes, yes, but we also have different music libraries. And I know you consider yourself a person that owns a shit ton of music and also have a shit ton of music to listen. And it felt to me all the time that I didn't add that much album or a big catalog to just shuffle through it or 
impose those like smart playlists the way I would just do it because I knew that if I want to listen to something, it's either already on my iPod or it's not there. Like it was rare occasion where when I owned an iPods, my own library, my whole library wouldn't fit or most of my library. If I was not listening to something, it's because I was completely not in the mood for listening to that or I was it was just an old purchase that I maybe not, don't like anymore, but maybe it was also that at the same time, if you see what I mean. Yeah, to a certain degree, like, I really, really appreciate smart playlists for what they bring because, like, when I'm playing games, and we mentioned this on the last episode, I'll plug my iPhone into the auxiliary jack of my headset and just, like, shuffle a playlist, and that way I can basically ensure that I always have something fresh to listen to, like, it doesn't feel redundant all the time, and I really, really like that, and smart playlist makes it really easy to do so. Um... Now, obviously, the big retort to this is you don't need this anymore. You can just use, like, Spotify and make a station based on a song, and it will automatically find other music that is relevant to your tastes, which I get that, but that's not really how I roll. Oh, no, I totally get that. Uh, And it feels to me that not only station, but I think the best example of the evolution of smart playlists especially in Apple Music, will be the For You section. It knows, it asks, it's a bit of like using algorithm and also using some of your own taste. So it's supposedly uh, remember what you listen to, but also when you set up For You for the first time, it asks you for uh, singers that you like. like Oh, that's a problem. That screen is a problem for me because I don't know any of the people that are on it. Fair, that's a problem depending on your taste, you're right. But ignoring that statement, um, if you know people on that screen, you can use that screen to kind of tailor it the way you want. But at the same time, it's not giving you all of the controls you might want compared to a smart playlist. So we're we're using, a, like at this point, those new software these days are, especially the streaming, uh, the streaming services are this way, is they say like, Yes, I remember we all use smart playlists, but now we have computers that will do that for you, so don't worry. Computers and algorithm are better than you are, and will do it for you. <laughs> Except if the Facebook no. newsfeed basically proved anything, it's that algorithms are shit and that human humans know what's best. Like the Facebook newsfeed, not to turn this into the Facebook episode, if you just give me a reverse chronological list of everything that has been posted, I will know what is shit and what isn't. Whereas if you try to algorithmically present what is relevant to me, it is always garbage at the top. And I don't know what to do to make it not be garbage because it's like I would have to post comments and like things every single time that there is something actually good, except I don't want to put activity unless like I actually assign a value to my likes like this is how stupid i am i view likes as a currency on social media and i don't want to like devalue things by just using likes to bubble up the good posts in the newsfeed if that makes sense like i feel like a visible like and a like to the algorithm should be two separate things and obviously it probably shouldn't because it would confuse the shit out of users but as someone who wants to know how the algorithm works so I can game it to actually get content that is actually relevant to the top. It it bothers me. Like, I feel like I fight algorithms every single day. 
And I think you're putting the finger on the problem. And I would say, like, if we contrast both, both like, actors here, you have you and me, okay? So you are the one that wants to drive the algorithm. You want to know which rule are used and which yeah, input you're giving it to and which output it will result into. Compared to me, when I said a couple of minutes ago that I don't didn't use that much smart playlists because... I felt personally that I wouldn't see the benefit of them. But at the same time, if I reflect a bit on that statement, I could just say that the reason why I, would, I wouldn't see any benefits of using them is I never saw any benefits for me. I never, maybe never understood completely what would be the benefits for me. And now if somebody or a computer is doing that for me and I see some benefits, I've done nothing and I see benefits compared to what I used to need to do is I need to spend time, understand the way smart album works and okay, I need to do like, okay, I listened to this song more than 10 times and last time I listened to it was two days ago so it should go in the playlist I need to listen in two weeks, for example, or my top 10 songs. Now I don't need to focus about that. Somebody, something will do it for me and this is what I like. I know you don't like that because you want to get those controls to say like, I want more of this factor into the algorithm. I want more of less of that one. And then I know that for today, the output of the algorithm will be more focused toward, I don't know, uh, more joyful music or more like uh, calm music so I can focus while working. If for me, there's a place that says like, oh, your best call music. And I don't need to think about like, is it, call music from this genre or from this act uh, artist i just want call music i don't want to care about that that's all fair criticism uh let's move on to the big debate topic about itunes which is of course it's ever-changing well actually there are two things uh, one of them is the ever-changing user interface and the other one is syncing it with your mobile devices which is sort of becoming a disaster well it it's not becoming it is a disaster um and i guess we should start with the ui so a couple years ago they basically started retooling the itunes ui in a more significant way every couple of years and i feel like every couple of years it's gotten worse um not necessarily worse from a visual point of view like visually uh well i i'm not a fan of the current look because i'm just not a fan of the current apple music aesthetic at all um but a couple of years ago it was pretty clean and good looking except it's not particularly good for managing a huge music library it looks good when you're browsing your music library but if you're trying to manage things it's not particularly good and you have to either shift between views a lot if you want to go browse in one view and manage in another or stuff like that and it, it feels like it became more of a modal application in ways, especially with like the tabs or the divisions, because of course this is the other problem with iTunes is it does so much stuff now. It does music, movies, TV shows, audiobooks, applications, classic iPod games. It still uh, does that. Oh my ringtones. Uh, I'm forgetting a couple other things, probably. Oh, it no longer do books because it's now inside its own application for That's the Mac. True. But for, yeah, I think for Windows it would do books too maybe um it's sort of a mess it's sort of the issue that's 
uh, that was born out of iTunes basically being the iPod syncing application because it was only doing music. And then when the iPhone came out, especially, it sort of just exploded. And now you have everything in iTunes because it is the syncing application. And But uh, wait, before you go on, don't forget that the iPod also added way more media before the iPhone came. Yeah, it had movies, TV shows, it had uh, the photos. stupid games, I said, photos. Yeah, but you don't manage photos in iTunes. You manage it in iPhoto or Fair. the file system. Fair, but you still had the option if you were to... You still had the option to synchronize them via yeah, yeah. iTunes. And you also had to do this management of what do you want to sync to your iPad? Do you want to use iPhoto? If so, which album, which uh, event, which people well i think the syncing problem is separate from the ui problem um the syncing problem could have been resolved by um ios 10.4 kids will remember good old days iSync. um iSync was an application actually i think it's 10.2 10.3 i i don't remember the date exactly um but basically iSync was this one-off application that was used to sync with pdas and early cell phones that were weren't even smartphones they were just like fancy sony ericsson phones you My sync, could, yeah you could sync contacts and calendars and that's about it um your ipod could also sync with iSync and it was a fairly nice interface except it was limited in what could sync via iSync um and i think they should have just moved to an architecture where iSync became the central place for syncing iPhones and iPods and iTunes became more of a pure music management application. Um, obviously, this is not the direction they went in. And so now the user interface is complexified because you have all of these things to manage, which are not necessarily even useful inside of iTunes itself. Like movies and TV shows, you can watch them in iTunes, but applications, ringtones, and like classic iPod games those are not really useful within iTunes because they're only executable on an iOS device or an old iPod. Um, so it's sort of a mess to have all of those things lumped in as well. And it feels really, really clunky. But really, like, they're trying to make it more visually appealing, and I think it's hurting the usability. Whereas in the past, iTunes... Like, t today, a lot of people look at it and they say, this looks garish, it looks too skeuomorphic, whatever. I don't particularly care. Like, you could make the text, uh, the textures of the window flat and it would still... Old iTunes would still be usable and it would look good today. But, like, I, I know that, like, Steve Jobs had a huge thing about CoverFlow and he loved CoverFlow so much and he was jamming CoverFlow everywhere, even on the stupid ClickWheel iPods. <laughs> and it looked really dumb. Um, and CoverFlow, like, it had that wow effect for, like, two years, but then it was just everywhere. It was even in the Finder, and then you were like, calm down, Steve. Like, you're overdoing it a little bit. And it's funny because I think it is still in the Finder, but it's now the only place where you can find it. Because Yeah, it's, it's not now... in iTunes, and it's not on iOS devices anymore. No, it's gone. And it might still be on iPods, but we know why, because nobody updates them. Yeah, basically. Um, and they became obsessed with cover art, and I, I understand to a certain degree because cover art is pretty, and you might as well display it if it exists. Um, the problem is, I 
I don't know how representative it is. Like, you know, when uh, they go into the photos app in iOS uh, device demos and all of the photos are like professional photographer photos that look really good. That's sort of what their iTunes library looks like. There's album art everywhere and everything is really well tagged. And in theory, Apple Music is supposed to magically put uh, album art for all of your albums there. Um, the problem is, if you're like me, uh, you have CDs that are not available on Apple Music, or sometimes, and this is a real case, um, you have two albums which have the same song on it, um, one of which has album art, the other doesn't. And so what it does is it tags the song that's on both albums with the album art of the song, uh, the album art of the album that has, uh, that's way too many albums in the same sentence. I lost what I was saying. Yeah. Uh... I think what you're trying to say is both songs, different album, one album has a photo, the other one has not. In the end, both some both songs has the same album cover from the one as yes. And because the other songs in the album don't have album art, then that one becomes the album art for the entire album. And then they're oh like, my. "No, Apple Music, that's wrong." And so you go remove it. And then, like next time you open iTunes, it's back. And you're like, "No, I told you that's wrong." Like there should be an override setting where. If you manually set metadata on top of what Apple Music set, it just says, no, I give up. I'm never going to touch the song ever again. Um, this is not the actual behavior, by the way. Um, and we could spend the entire show talking about how Apple Music mangles metadata, but I don't really want to be that depressing this week. Um, there's plenty of other stuff in our backlog where we've talked about that issue. Um, but I think the visual design of iTunes really emphasizes album art and if apple music is going to mangle your album art then there's no real benefit in displaying it that much no i think they focus on they assume i think the main reason why coverflow was kind of designed and created and also it relates to this kind of big push on visual for the album is they assume that everybody's looking for music via album they don't look for artists they might but they will don't look for artists they just I remember, I don't know, like, wow, I'm trying to find an album name and I don't have any, but that's okay. Hot Fuss. Good. So, yeah, I'm looking for Mr. Brightside, and I know it's on the Hot Fuss uh, album. I, for an unknown reason, I don't remember it's by The Killers, but let's just say that I remember it's this kind of Blue Sky album. So I'm, like, scrolling, and then I see something blue, and I stop, and it's there. But do you think people actually do that? I think people search. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Well, I don't a- search because I I love albums and usually I know the name of the album more than I know the name of the song or the name of the artist. But no, but you're right. I was kind of trying to make the process show that yes, you might be looking at the albums, but I think pe- some people might remember more the album cover, but it feels to me that everybody every time I see people trying to search for music, they just search for some keywords or they remember some part of the name so they just try searching for that and in most cases they remember the key words of the album or the song's name and the itunes will find something or spotify will find something yep so the ui doesn't scale particularly well we also talked a little bit about the syncing i want to focus on a little piece of shit called uh, mobile device that framework which is <laughs> the framework underlying itunes which handles all of the syncing with your ios devices if you have ever had an ios device randomly not sync in itunes this is it's this little fucker's fault 
Um, hey, it, well, what's your word? I think uh, the main reason why you're so pissed about it is I is because you had to kind of try to I wrote reverse. against it. Yes. Yeah. You tried to reverse engineering it for your software to work. Unless because you had shit ton of syncing issues. You did have syncing no, 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 issues no. throughout I, the years. I agree with that. But I have more syncing issues than I have syncing successes on my Mac every single week these days. Oh really? I like I have a Mac which is standard like there is nothing fancy about it there is no jailbreak software on this there has never been any jailbreak software on this uh, MacBook Pro um my phone is brand new I plugged it in it won't sync uh it basically syncs maybe once every 6 or 7 times with iTunes and the same thing for my iPad which has also not been jailbroken so I think there is something really broken in mobile device that framework and it's gotten worse over the years like much much worse and if you're on wi-fi like god help you it's even worse hmm. um like wired isn't reliable but wi-fi is even flakier and it drives me crazy because this is the main issue i have and the reason i am so dependent on itunes like aside from the fact that it's the only music management app today that has the features i'm looking for like it has really nice features including this one thing that i absolutely love that no other app seems to do which is sort album sort artist um if you go into get info on a specific track in itunes you get these fields which are called sort name sort artist sort album and this lets you give your tags a different sort order than the actual uh, values of the field. So you can have, for example, um, your album and artist tags be in Japanese, but if you want them to sort alphabetically as if they were in English, you can go type in the English name of the stuff in your sort artist and your sort album, and then they'll sort correctly. So that way, like if you if you know the artist's name and you know that it starts with a C, but really you've got the tag in Japanese, so it's like some kanji, you can still scroll to the section where your C's are and the artist will be there. And I use that for years and years and years for all of my Japanese tags. Um, and there's and nothing comparable in any other application because they all just either sort in Japanese alphabetical order, which is correct until you get into kanji where there is no rule because kanji is complicated um and you need to set these things manually except there's no feel to do that in any app that's not itunes and it's sort of a crapshoot and now that you mentioned that feature it's i have the sentiment that what happened with itunes is when they originally started with itunes yes they bought somebody else to do it they bought but the... i used sound gem and it was nothing like itunes it was basically exactly like winamp right but I think what they bought was not the software, but was more people with knowledge about how you should manage audio. Yes. Audio file. And when you mentioned those features, it reminds me one of our uh, study case during, during uh, college where we had to build some type of CMSs for the music department. Yeah. And in a way, what we kind of decided to build as a study case was kind of iTunes on the web because... What we realize is we know a bit about music and music management. We hear those clients' kind of needs. And what we see is iTunes, as its base foundation, understood how you should manage music. And they gave you feature to do that. But they've became this fat 
person, let's put it this way, because they either start to be a bit lazy or they wanted to do this and do that. So imagine a fat person that is fat around their belly, but they have like a really strong arm because the strong arm is iPhone management or iPhone OS updates. And they are really good at that. But the left leg is so tiny because and skinny because whatever, like they don't they they suck at calendar management. What I'm trying to see here is <laughs> iTunes started as a base. You should have these feature, a certain set of features to properly manage audio, and they understood the problem perfectly. And then everything else got tacked on top of it and it sort of killed the app. Like the app is practically unusable i almost never use itunes anymore because it's a pain to actually use it but it has all of these great features that i can't fight any find anywhere else um the other issue of course is that it's the only thing that can sync with the music library on ios and we've already talked about my whole issue with itunes match and apple uh what is it called uh, icloud music library yeah um, iCloud. I've already talked about those issues, so I don't really want to go back into it. Basically, for my needs, neither of those products are particularly good. It's funny, though, because some of my weird music just work fine with iCloud Music Library. Yes. Like, it has synced. I'll I'll be honest. I don't have that much of that type of music where it's kind of uh, some Japanese, like, anime soundtrack. I have maybe an album or two, but for those albums... It did synchronize. It did not fuck up any metadata. And I'm on an iPhone. I can play it without syncing via iTunes. And it just works. Well, the advantage you have is that those soundtracks are on the iTunes Japanese store. Oh, whereas, Oh, I didn't know that. Whereas some of the stuff that I have are just weird remixes off of SoundCloud. And the, the fingerprinting for the algorithm goes in and says... Oh, that sounds like this Beyonce song when in reality it's a remix of the Beyonce song and then I can't actually get the Beyonce song remix anywhere because it just put the original song in its place. And I mean, it's nice that I now have a free copy of the original song, but that's not <laughs> what I wanted. Um, and I've had that happen multiple, multiple times, especially with like sample heavy music. It's crazy. And it annoys the shit out of me. And like, I, I suppose iTunes Match is supposed to be like the premium version, which also doesn't have the stupid DRM issue that we've talked about in the past, which doesn't allow you to actually use the music that you sync this way in third-party apps, which is a deal breaker if you're trying to use DJ software. But the problem is like iTunes Match, I feel, doesn't give you enough granularity for what's available offline and online. And that's another issue because, again, if I'm going to Japan and I'm going to be DJing a thing, I don't want my songs to randomly be unsynced. And this is a problem, by the way, that is also taking place right now on macOS Sierra with all the files on people's computers. Well, on their desktops, anyway. Um, so it's sort of a problem that Apple's track record on this sort of purging is not great, and I don't trust it, and that's why I don't really want to give the cloud offering really any more chances until like someone tells me th- this is perfect and it works 100% of the time, which I doubt it will ever happen. Um, but like local syncing, when it works, it works flawlessly. The problem is it doesn't really work that often. And we've also talked in the past about like what happens when the cache files for your iTunes library like go to shit and then your album art is mismatched forever unless you jailbreak your device and manually go change the cache files. And it's 
like we've talked about how Apple's opaqueness sometimes is a disservice to the tech savvy users that know that there's something wrong, but the opaqueness makes it that they have nothing they can actually do to fix the problem. Um, and iTunes is increasingly that. And especially with Apple Music involved, it is increasingly that. There's not enough visibility into what's going on behind the scenes. That means that users who are trying to manage their music and know where their music is going have no idea what's going on. Are you ready to talk about GarageBand? I think I am. I think I'm done bitching about iTunes. Cool shit. So GarageBand is an application you could use to make music. Also, for a brief amount of time, you could use it to make podcasts, as demoed by Steve Jobs when he made the super secret Apple Rumors podcast during a keynote, which is the best podcast of all time. You could uh, also learn to play instruments. Do I'm not sure if this feature is still in. I think it still is. I mean, wow. I don't know what you why you would delete that content from within the app. I believe it's an in-app purchase now, though. Oh, but it was not in the app. You had to download it. Yeah, but I think okay. like now I think now it's just an in-app purchase because GarageBand is free with in-app purchases nowadays. Right. Um, what do you think about GarageBand as someone who ostensibly does more music than me? <laughs> uh, um, well, did more music okay, than me. Okay, that's good. That's good because I was like, uh, I do not do more music than you. I did. You're right. Um, I'm trying to remember though because I do remember that when I was still uh, playing piano when I was in high school, I wanted to use GarageBand more than I was using it. And the main grip I have was mostly because I was not composing, but mostly just playing other people's music. And I've been a, bit com a big composer, so... Uh, but it, uh, GarageBand always helped me feel that I should, could be a good one, even if I were a bad one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always seems to be easy to compose music on it like it i'm not i won't say that it would be composing music for you but it's pretty good at holding your hand and making sure you're doing the right choices and then when you and even if you do like you click and drag everything on and any uh, loops and any music you still end up with something that sounds somewhat good it's not perfect yeah. would obviously not be perfect but the way I t uh, the way GarageBand was built is it's making it super easy for every people that know just a bit about music and how to kind of write it to make something truly nice. So I think the analogy that I sort of want to make about GarageBand is it feels like uh, if you go back to the uh, episode we did about video editing, I mentioned how iMovie was sort of prototyped as this thing called first cut which allowed you to create rough cuts of videos um really really quickly and i feel like GarageBand is sort of that analog especially the ios version more recently where it allows you to basically prototype or mock up a song like the shell of a song really 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 quickly especially if you know what you're doing um that helps uh i'm not particularly musically skilled at least I i'm fine at djing stuff but like actually composing music is challenging um and in that respect i feel like it's the quickest way to just get like a shell of a song built up um and i think the ios version is sort of structured for this like it already has the notion of chorus bridge uh verses all built in and you can choose the length of those things and you can manage each sec each section individually and string them together 
And this is infuriating if you're trying to use GarageBand on iOS to do something that it's not musical in nature. Like if you're trying to record a podcast in iOS GarageBand, you will hate yourself because you are tied to basically this chorus verse bridge structure <laughs> and you are going to hit the limits of how much you can record per section very, very quickly. Um, well, yeah, but it like this exact point drives what I was saying is the canvas you're working with is already designed to say like typical song as a couple of verse, then bridge between them and then a chorus that repeats after a couple of verses or maybe a verse is a bridge and then it, it repeats. It is there and the canvas is telling you, okay, this is the typical, I wouldn't say default, but it's typical way a song is built. So you have this, this repeats, you have like bridge between each other and then you go back to the course and then and it's easy because when you have one part when you have the other then it's easy to bridge between the each part and then make them repeat and garageman is holding your end throughout those steps like it's yeah, there I, for you yeah i think one of the great things about garageband um is the smart instruments like you can choose smart bass or something and what these instruments really are is like they're skeuomorphic in the nature that they're basically trying to copy the layout of those instruments, but you can't actually play them like a real bass or anything. Um, instead, you just have these large tappable areas which correspond to chords or whatever. And there's a dial at the top of the screen with I think three or five levels of complexity. So if you're a real music noob, you can just leave it at one. And if you tap it, it will autoplay most of the music for you. But if you want more granularity and more control, you can just crank that up to five and really like fine tune how it sounds. And I think that that kind of accessibility is really unparalleled in music software nowadays because everything else is just trying to be an audio, a digital audio workstation like the others, like Logic, like Pro Tools and all that stuff. And GarageBand is really trying to be like a an accessible... It's trying to be the musical instrument of the next generation in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, because all of the stuff I did on the real piano, I could just have done in GarageBand these days. Like, yes, of course, at some point, some like piano exercise would be way easier on a real piano. But learning the basis, you could do it on the iPad. Yeah. Like definitely. getting your rhythm, maybe trying to understand some of the finger techniques on a real piano would be more reserved for a real thing. But understanding how to read notes and all of that stuff, you don't care if you need any real instrument or not. You just need to learn it. And whether it's an iPad or a music sheet in front of a piano, you'll still get it. Same with chords for a guitar. Yeah. Another thing that really interests me is more of the DJ side of my brain is um, recent updates to GarageBand have included more things that are... I don't want to say cloning because it's a very light version of what you would find in live, but a, like a basic equivalent to Ableton Live, which is increasingly how like EDM performers are doing their music on stage where they are remixing stuff uh, with these fancy MIDI controllers and whatever. And I think it's really interesting to see GarageBand put it in there because for a really long time, I feel like they were really catering more to the rock, pop, classical uh, trifecta and catering a lot less to like serious EDM and dance music. 
and I think that they've done a great job in that update to sort of become more relevant to the new generation that really likes this stuff. Um, so that's really interesting. And I, I think like it's cool to see new instruments in air quotes pop up in there just to cater to that crowd because they basically weren't going to do shit with a guitar. Um, and another direction that I really think is interesting for GarageBand is when they introduced GarageBand music notes. Because like they've sort of started making offshoot applications of GarageBand that are very specific in nature. Like uh, Music Notes allows you to hum a song or whatever, and then automatically GarageBand will play chords behind that that correspond to it. And you can import that into GarageBand and build your song out more. And I think that was sort of like inspired by a tweet or something that uh, Taylor Swift said in an interview where she said, like, sometimes I just use the uh, the voice memos app on my phone to record something that I think of out of nowhere. And now you can just do that with music notes and have an importable file that you can get into GarageBand with the chords laid out and everything. And it's brilliant. Yeah, I think I think that they are those are the best addition to GarageBand in the past couple of years, because um, I really use GarageBand these days. But when I was using it quite heavily, it was nice because GarageBand was full of loops, full of instruments, full of like, quote unquote, real uh, instruments that were designed in the, into the digital worlds, but in the late in a couple of latest versions, what you had is this feature you just mentioned, this uh, this uh, the other one you just mentioned regarding the uh, like sm- you said smart bass, smart piano, smart guitar, where you yeah. just lay out maybe you singing or you playing another instrument, and it would just match what you've created. And then you could just build your own song if you were in a band, but you're alone in front of GarageBand. It's just crazy to me at this point where if you could do that and just start from maybe a track, maybe from a voice, maybe from piano music and build a complete song the same way if you had access to a studio. Yeah, the last thing I want to mention about GarageBand is the fantastic iOS version because I think out of all of the iWork and iLife apps that were ported to iOS, this is the one that has the most parity with its Mac counterpart, especially nowadays. Um, GarageBand on iOS, I think the only feature that you are missing, actually not even, now that iOS 9 came out, you have it. Um, I completely forgot that audio units are now in iOS. But I was going to say the only thing that's missing from GarageBand on iOS is audio units, but now they're a part of iOS. So basically, you have complete parity with the Mac version, and it's real cool if you're an iPad Power user to basically not have to worry about what you're missing out on the Mac version because they're effectively equivalent. And some features are even better on uh, the iPad than they are on the Mac. It's funny because it feels to me that it is the first and only iLife app and iWork app that is really fully fledged on both platforms. Yeah. They have the, they have the same feature set. Obviously, uh, some feature might be a bit faster on your Mac, a bit easier to use on iOS because they are, those are the strengths of each platform. But in a way, they do have the same feature set and they did not... They, they, yes, they did remove some feature from CashBand, but it feels to me that they, don't, they didn't remove core feature. They remove stuff like podcasting that the Apple team for, that is currently working on GarageBand doesn't feel it works into the same ideology of GarageBand. Some might say that this is not 
it would fit in the same ideology because it's all audio. But they are focusing on music and they never downplayed music on one platform to make the other one work better. Like just both platform keep going straight ahead and improving feature and both platform have those features around the same time too. Definitely. So are you ready for the twist ending? Uh, yes, I am. Okay, so we're closing out the Digital Hub series, and I just want to revisit one last time what Steve Jobs proposed, like, in 2001, when the, or I guess technically the year 2000, when he basically pitched this idea of the Digital Hub. The Mac is the center of the Digital Hub, or actually the Mac is the Digital Hub for your entire lifestyle. It is the hub for your music. It is the hub for your photos. It's the hub for your home videos. And all of that resides on your Mac. And in 2016, that sort of sounds a little dated, but I think that we don't, we sort of still feel like we're in a state of transition as to what the digital hub is. Like, is it a device? Is it the cloud? Does it vary depending on what type of media we're talking about? I think those are all a bunch of really, really interesting questions that nobody's really asking. I think the pitch for iCloud originally was based on the notion of the digital hub and saying, we pitched the digital hub in 2000, and now we're introducing iCloud because we want the cloud to be the digital hub for the next 10, 15 years. Um, the problem is I don't think it's worked as well as Apple would have hoped. Um, but what are your thoughts on like what the digital hub is today in 2016? Um, I would tend to err on the side of saying it depends from companies to company. Um, a good example of that is Google. Google is good at saying that if they want to build their own digital hub, I think they already did it, and we all really know it's in the cloud. Google is in the cloud. Music in, is in the cloud. Uh, your documents are in the cloud. Some companies are good at saying, like, okay, our vision of what is the consumer digital hub should be this. Google is good. They do the cloud. Their forces in the cloud. To go back to to go back to your point of saying that it still feels that it's a transition right now. It seems to me that Apple still showed this image that the digital hub started in early two thousand with the iMac. As the iMac is your digital hub, you put all of those digital creation or own stuff on your iMac. It's there. You plug in your iPod. You plug in your iPhone. This will drive it. And they start to see their competition saying, no, 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 no. You just need a device, whichever it is. It could be your iPhone. It could be an Android phone. It could be a computer. It could be a fucking fridge that is connected to the internet. But if it's connected to the internet, it is connected, quote unquote, to the digital hub. So it can access everything. And that's the problem I have. And that's, I wouldn't say a problem. It's kind of the tension I have with Apple is... They're trying to push it to the cloud whilst they're saying, oh yeah, but our forces are when we put those hubs into devices because we're good at devices. But we see the advantages of it being into the those kind of bubbly cloud and everything is fine, everything is magic, but we want them to be in the devices because we sell devices. So this tension creates weird products, creates the impression that they, they don't know whether it was a good idea to focus on the Mac and then transition or just continue focusing on the Mac or maybe now focusing like migrating the hub from the Mac to iOS or the Mac to the cloud or the Mac to the cloud and iOS. It is that part is confusing me. 
And this is where the problem lies, I think, with Apple these days. You don't have those interrogation if you were to use Google products. Everything is in the cloud, no question asked. Same with Facebook. Everything is in the cloud, no question asked. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. It's just clear. You know what you get. If you want to put stuff into this those silos, your music, uh, maybe music is a bad example, but your photos, they all go through the cloud. You can be using any devices to f that access Facebook. You will be sure your Facebook, your Facebook pictures will be accessible from those devices. So I think for me, I've found something that I think could be the digital hub going forward. The problem is I don't think it's there yet. And that product is up there by Bertrand Serlet, which is an old Apple employee. Uh, he used to be technical lead on OS X, I believe. Uh, I think it was his VP on Yeah, OS maybe. X. I don't remember the exact title. Um, I do remember it was his VP. Of what? I'm not sure. I think software engineering. That would make sense. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so he's an ex-Apple guy. He disappeared for a couple of years because he was working at this stealth startup called Up There. Up There's product was in beta last year, and I had the chance to basically play around with it for a while. And I think that their proposition is maybe the best of all of them because they are not trying to be a content vendor. They're just trying to be a pipe. And there is a certain level of questioning that goes in there, which is, is a pipe really a viable business? And do people really want that? Uh, are they going to pay for it? Is it going to be viable going forward? Or is it the next Everpix, Rip Everpix? Um, and I have all of those co concerns as well, but I was very impressed with how well the product worked. Um, the problem is I think the clients need a lot of work. Right now, one application manages all of your digital media your photos, your music, your videos, your documents, your data, all in the same app. And they each have their own custom interface, but it's like if you're using five different applications, except they live on the same tab bar, and that doesn't really scale. Um, this is for the iOS version. Um, the Mac version is slightly more viable um, because you can still continue to access things via the file system, which makes it less of a pain uh, on that platform. It, do you think they were on iOS? They were embracing the fact that there's no file system, so it's more like you want you went from the photos silo to the document silos to the videos silo. If you see what I mean, yeah, so that's they, why you had feel like distinct user interfaces and distinct silos that are not grouped together at all. Like you can't go into the documents and data section of, up there and go fiddle around with your music or fiddle around with your photos. They are, I, I, as far as I can tell, they're stored in separate databases uh, with all metadata. Um, there are certain downsides to the way that Upbear works. Uh, first of all, like I mentioned, like I use DJ software and DJ software feeds off the iTunes library, which Upbear is never going to let me do this stuff, um, which is unfortunate. Um, photos, you can't really choose an alternate photo provider. So if you're using the photo picker in iOS, you can't actually access the photos that are in the cloud. And right now with iCloud Photo Library, I'm having a great time. I have no issue with iCloud Photo Library. It works great for me. Um, so I can't really switch to up there even if I would want to uh, for photos. 
music is the one that's most interesting to me because I feel like none of the music offerings really cater to my taste. They're all trying to be maybe Google Play is a little different, but Play has some other disgusting stuff um, where they're not trying to be a store for music, which also has a music locker storage tacked on, which is sort of what iTunes matches, which is sort of what Google Play Music is and what Amazon's music thing is. Um, they're all sort of music stores with tacked on music lockers. And that's not really what I'm interested in. I want a service that is capable of conserving my entire music library, regardless of where it's from and treats everything equally. And I think up there was really good at that. The problem is because the entire music app was condensed within one tab of the application, there is one sort view and it's by artist, which is terrible because I have a lot of compilations where artists have like one song. So I have like a billion artists in my artists list and finding songs takes forever. Um, there is search, but the search view isn't the UI isn't perfect either. The actual cloud service is amazing. It syncs ridiculously fast. I have no idea how they do it. And the amazing thing is they never actually cache anything on disk, which is also a disadvantage in certain ways, because if you go on a plane, you can't listen to any of your up there music, uh, which is another issue. But I think that, up there basically is betting on the world, the theoretical world where you always have a data connection. You are always able to talk to the cloud and there are no data caps and you can do everything in the cloud. And it doesn't matter if you have a 16 gigabyte iPhone because zero bytes of your iPhone are being used for your media in theory. Um, and I think that's a good experimental product to have around to prove that it's possible. And I really, really hope that they can maybe split the up there app into several apps that are each capable of really handling music management really well, photo management really well, and giving people really experiences that rival iTunes and um, iCloud Photo Library for managing their media. And if they do that, maybe it'll actually be worth switching to up there and there won't be that many issues. Or I could just use a smart playlist, like I said, or a normal playlist to sync music over when I need like a specific playlist to DJ with or something. Um, so I am really, really excited about this product. It does a lot of things wrong, but I think it has a ton of potential. And my only worry is it won't survive long enough to actually live up to that potential. But from the technology point of view, it's absolutely amazing. And I think a lot of people should go check it out because it's kind of amazing how well it works. Really, the only issue I have with it is its interface problems more than its actual back-end problems. No, and I, th I think right now they are the kind of, I wouldn't say the only one, but I think they are maybe one of the main player that still, f when you use their software, you feel that it's kind of, this idea of this is my digital app. If we compare that, yes, I mentioned Google, Facebook, and Apple, and maybe Amazon too, but it feels to me that when you use products on those companies that fits into the digital app category, like one of them are, is better than the other. And what I mean by that is if you go to Google, it feels to me that the photos product is better than the music product. And maybe for Apple, it's the inverse. Like, I'm not saying that it's true, but that's my example here. Saying that up there, all of their silos feels good. Yes, there's flaws, but 
you see that there's people working on it and they put the same level of quality and thinking into solving those problems compared to what we have right now and with other companies that and you feel that oh yeah you see that the photos team in all of those companies these days have shit ton of budget so they have the great minds to think about this problem and you see that yes music is less profitable these days it's hard to be profitable with streaming services so let's do what we can let's make sure it works let's make sure it's somewhat good but it feels to me that especially for streaming services it feels that the innovation is kind of gone on those and this is where i think up there is shining yep is so that, that it that's pretty much what i had hmm that's, that was a good uh, retrospective on the digital orb and maybe the future of it and see where it's going. Yeah. Good. So if you want to find a show notes regarding this music part of digital orb, you'll be able to find them on our website at limitlesspossibility.net slash 50. That's five zero, Yannick. We're at the it 50 is. episode. Wow. This show is old, man. Uh, we are old. So you can also go back and listen to some of our old episodes uh, we mentioned a lot of them and referred to a lot of old episodes where we bitch about iTunes <laughs> so you can find some of those and mostly all of them on limitlesspossibility.net you can also find the the podcast on Twitter at, at limipo underscore podcast that's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast you can find your beloved host on Twitter. I'm at Lukonush. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And Yannick is at? At Sakurina. S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. See you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.